Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Today, we're continuing our series of Old Testament prophets. And we come to Daniel. And I was holding Daniel for this week, the first week of the brand new year. But I've been giving this a lot of thought over the last several weeks because there's so much we can learn from Daniel. I mean, there's tons of prophecy there. But the thing I want to emphasize today is that Daniel was guilty of one thing. The only thing they could find that he was guilty of is he was guilty of praying. Guilty of praying. Some of you probably remember that early on during the COVID, I preached a message entitled, While You Were Praying. I don't want to re-preach that, but one of the topics there was Daniel. This has been one of those thoughts that has been with me throughout this COVID. Because a lot of people ask me, Pastor, where's God? Why isn't God answering our prayers? Why isn't God doing this? Good questions. And so I felt like God gave me a message of while they were praying. While Moses was praying up on the mountain, guess what they were doing at the bottom? They were partying. While they were praying, they were partying. When Daniel was praying, guess what they were doing? They were plotting what they could do. When Jesus was praying, what were the disciples doing? They were sleeping. And when Peter was in prison and they were praying to get out, what were they doing? They must have been doubting because they were totally shocked. They thought it was a ghost. But the amazing thing about all those episodes, I think they're parallel to this, what we've gone through today. While the church is praying, there's a lot of people partying. While you're praying, there's a lot of people plotting. While you're praying, there's a, the church, I believe, has been sleeping. And while we're praying, a lot of times people are just doubting. And when that happens, Prayers don't get answered. See, I, I see those things going on in almost every generation. You look at the Bible and you see those things over and over again. People partying, people plotting, people sleeping, people doubting. But as the song, The Waymaker says, even when we cannot see it, What's God doing? He's still working. Even when we can't feel it, God's still working. Because what was God doing with Moses up on top of the mountain? He was given the Ten Commandments. People down there said, God's forgot about us. But God had not forgot about them. While Daniel was praying, they were plotting on how to get rid of him. And they said, we're going to throw him in the... Lion's den. 
But guess what? God was preparing a way of escape. When Jesus was praying and the disciples were sleeping, he was getting ready to do the greatest miracle that's ever been done. Jesus Christ was going to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. And whenever they were doubting and saying, Peter's probably going to be killed just like James was, he showed up at their door because God, God heard their prayers. So I want to begin this message with telling you, listen, even when you think God's not working, when you can't see it, he's still there. When you can't feel it, now I love to feel it. But how many of you have ever been praying and you just didn't feel it? But aren't you glad that God answers anyway? See, Daniel was a unique individual. He, along with his cohorts, and they had two names, so did Daniel. But for simplicity, I'll name them one Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were four cohorts. And they were taken captive from Jerusalem. I said they were taken captive from Jerusalem probably at a very, very early age. Really don't know how old, but it could have been just young teenagers. But let's look at the story in chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king commanded Asphanes, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility. Now, did you get that? They were descendants of the royal family and nobility. In other words, these were not uh, street kids. These were the cream of the crop that they were bringing in. He said, used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So get this picture. They went and picked the cream of the crop. Let's just say in any city, any major uh, metropolitan area in the United States, that you will go in and say, I want your best students. I want your best kids. I want the ones that can stand in the palace and, and speak for us because we want to train them. What they want to train them for? They wanted to train them in the ways of the Babylonians, in the ways of the Chaldeans. They wanted to turn them away from God. And the very first thing they did said, okay, listen, you're gonna, uh, this is like a cruise ship. You can eat anything you want. We're going to take care of you. And this is where we get the term Daniel fast. He said, no, we're not going to eat those things that are not clean. We're not going to drink of your wine. We're going to just drink and eat things that are good for us. Now, we're not going to be delving into that, but I think that's a good place to start. Uh, we know it started uh, probably yesterday. New Year's resolution, I'm going to eat right. Probably this afternoon we'll break it. But it was good intentions. But they could eat anything. He said, no, we're not going to do that. And remember, when they, after three years, they was going to bring them back and they were going to test them to see who was the best of the best. Well, let's go to chapter, uh, verse 17 of the first 
uh, chapter. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananel, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom... In other words, Jeopardy, you know, I'll take that one. Didn't matter what the um, category was. Every matter of wisdom and understanding about the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all of the magicians and enchanters that were in all the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we find that at the end of their three years, they were brought them all together, and these four just excelled. These four blew the tops out of their testing. Nobody else could even compete with them. And now, I don't know if you understand that, but 10 times better, that means if, if they made 100 on it, the rest of them made 10. They were a dominant group. They were an inspiration that God had put together. Now, we know that later on, Three were thrown into a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel to a den of lions. And I kind of wondered about that until I began to realize we're talking about two different governments here. See, the Babylonians, during the Babylonian rule, you had death by burning. So that's when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then a new king took over, the Medes and the Persians, and they were exposure to wild beasts or being thrown into the lion's den. Now let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, and the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they should might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream. Now I want you to understand something. These were astrologers, but they also were astronomers. They were people that were well known in studying the stars and their impact on the earth. How many knows that the, uh, the moon impacts our tides and all these things? So he had those things and they impacted it. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Isn't it amazing that the ungodly recognize the spirit of the holy gods? And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, or Daniel, chief of the magicians. Oh, let me pause there. Chief of the magicians. This guy by this time probably was still in his early 20s. Maybe younger. Because remember, they'd only been in school in three years. But they saw something in him. And it made him head of the magi. Head of the Magi. Now, there are many scholars that thinks those wise men that were going to come and look for Jesus, 
about 650 years later, studied the teachings of Daniel. Because they came from where? They came from Babylon. And Daniel was the chief of the Magi. And it says, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. He said, I want you to tell me what the dream was. Tell me how to understand it. Now, let's go over to chapter 6, because I, I think you get the drift already. I'm not talking about all the prophecies that Daniel did. Daniel prophesied numerous, numerous things. And if you're a prophecy scholar, I'd encourage you, go read the entire book of Daniel, but get some good uh, uh, help with it because it's very, uh, very, very deep. So we go to chapter 6, verse 1. Now it pleased Darius, this was a new king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. How many knows what that spirit was? Of the spirit of God. And the king planned to send him over the whole kingdom. So here was this foreigner here was this guy that had been a slave that had been uh, brought in, and he was going to be promoted to be the top man in all the kingdom. How many knows in the political arena there's a little bit of jealousy? They said, why is he going to be the one? Why is he going to be the one? Because and it says, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Have any of you ever thought, I'm not asking if you've thought about running for president, but have you thought, I certainly wouldn't want to go through that? Because they're going to get a microscope and they're going to look at your life. And they're going to find any warts that you have. They're going to find them all. And these guys got together and said, we got to find out what can we find Daniel guilty of? What is he guilty of? We know he's not guilty of treason because everything he does supports the kingdom. He's not guilty of murder because he's a loving guy. He's not guilty of, of thievery, and he could have been because he could have probably embezzled because he was way up there in authority. But they could not find anything wrong with him. And it says, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Now, I want to note you notice that of his God. It wasn't their God because he could care less about their God. He wasn't serving their God. He was serving his God. And he was being faithful to that. Faithful to that. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. 
all the high officials of the kingdom, the perfects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or, or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Boy, they knew how to give a snow job. Huh? They were telling him, boy, you know, you're the only one that really deserves any recognition. So let's make it a law. And of the law of the Medes and the Persians, once it went in the book, it was there. It was there. So let's do that. So now a king established the injunction and signed the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Now, I want you to understand something. King Darius just got snowed. He was not anti-Daniel. But how many knows that a lot of times flattery will defeat you? They flattered him, told him how great he was. But in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, now, what was that document? You're going to go in the lion's den if you petition anyone other than Darius. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God. Next phrase is very critical. As he had done previously. He was not doing this for show. He was continuing to do what he had always done. And what he had always done is three times a day, he went down and opened the windows up and he prayed toward Jerusalem. Prayed toward Jerusalem three times a day. And then these men came and they found him praying. Found him praying. And so after all their research, after all their checking, after all their investigation, the only crime that Daniel would be found guilty of is he was guilty of prayer. Guilty of prayer. I couldn't help but think about 650, 700 years later when Jesus was before People that were trying him, you know, they couldn't find the thing wrong. He'd never stolen from anybody. Only thing he'd ever done is doing good. The only thing they could find was he claimed to be the Son of God. The only thing they could find on Daniel was he was guilty of prayer. Guilty of prayer. I know there's tons of different ways to pray. There's different ways of fasting. There's a different ways of petitioning the Lord. Everybody has their procedure. But I remember an old saying that circulated a number of years ago said, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, 
would they have enough evidence to convict you? Let me rephrase that this morning. If you were put on trial for praying, would there be enough evidence to convict you? They found all the evidence that they needed to convict Daniel. The only thing they could find wrong with him was he was guilty of prayer. My first church I pastored, I think I'll always remember this. One of my members worked in a family dollar store, something along that line. And I went by and was just chatting with her one day. And somebody's name came up. Let's just say it was Gator. It wasn't Gator, but let's just say it was Gator. And she said, you know, he's a good man. I could only find one thing wrong with him. And before she could tell me what that one thing was, I said, you know what? If that's the only thing you find wrong with him, he's probably a pretty good guy. Because I'm going to tell you, if you've only got one thing wrong with you, you're better than most of us. Huh? But I ask that question to you. That's the question of me. If I was put on trial for prayer, and all the witnesses came forth and shared what little bit they knew, but then when I main witness is God. And he'd look at me and I'd say, God, you know, I, 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 I do pray for my meals and I do, you know, I could give a lot of excuses. But I have to ask myself the question, Gator, would I, would there be enough evidence to convict me of prayer? This week, We're trying to encourage people to spend some time in prayer. And I hope you understand it's not just for this week. But I, I, I went online and signed up for a time of prayer. And I was really like Amanda. I certainly hope there's a lot more praying than what it says they are. Because the Assemblies of God's got 13,000 churches in America. I'd love to think at least two or three in each church were praying. I want to go over and read one passage that I didn't read in the early service. But right near the end of the book in chapter 9 of Daniel, while I was speaking and praying, this same Daniel, confessing my sin. Confessing my sin. Now I want you to know they had looked at him under a microscope. They said, if we don't find anything, it's with his religion. It's with his commitment for God. But this was Daniel saying, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. 
Now, if you're here today and you're totally sinless, I want your autograph, number one. <laughs> but after that, if you're sinless, pray for me. Pray for Oxford Assembly of God. Pray for the Assemblies of God. Pray for the United States of America. Because this is what he said, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of God, while I was speaking in prayer, while he was still praying, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision of the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice, and he made me understand, speaking with men, saying, Oh, Daniel, I've now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy. Let me read that again. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy. I believe God hears us before we utter the first one. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you. And here's a phrase that applies to every one of us. I know you say, well, Daniel was really a good guy. But he said, for you are greatly loved. God loves you in spite of the evidence. He loves you with an everlasting love and an unconditional love. So while I was praying, confessing my sin, Gabriel came to him. He said, I want you to know the minute you begin to pray. See, God's still working even when we don't see it. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he was guilty of prayer. You know, there are those in the world today that they cannot meet like we're meeting right now. Because if they're guilty of meeting like we're meeting, they would be imprisoned, possibly even martyred, because they were guilty of prayer. I wish I could tell you that 2022 is going to be all roses, but I have no idea. It could be a lot worse than 2021. And I know, I know some of you saying, well, pastor, 2021 was terrible. Compared to most places in the world, we had it a gravy train. So I said in closing again, if you were put on trial for praying, what would the verdict be? I'm asking you, that's because that's between you and God. I know that I mean to pray more. Now I know I remember the old story 
of a lady that the pastor preached on prayer that Sunday night. You know, we used to have the, the testimony services. She would stand up and say, Pastor, I really appreciate your prayers, and I mean to pray more. I aim to pray more. And it didn't matter what he preached on that Sunday night. He said, and Pastor, I enjoyed your message this morning, and I aim to do that. I aim to do that. Finally, one day, the pastor said, Sister, you've been cocked and aimed for 20 years. For God's sake, would you please shoot something? <laughs> so aiming to do it, not going to get it. But if you were put on trial for prayer, would you be found guilty? Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. God, I know that we, we love to come to church and get those real exciting messages to make us feel good. And God, if people have been praying like we should have, then they probably feel good. But for many of us, this is a, a challenge, a challenge to commit to pray more. If we've been praying two minutes, pray four minutes. And Father, I know some say that's not enough. God, four minutes is a lot better than two. Two is a lot better than none. So we ask you, Lord, to give us and convict us minister to us right now. I'd like for you to just meditate on what the Holy Spirit speaking to you as Lee leads us in another song of worship. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.